Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rightfully So, uh, your podcast and all things first-year writing for first-year writing students, your instructors, and anyone else interested in nerding out about the writing process. Uh, this week, it's just uh, Jeanette and myself. Um, but that being said, I think we've got a couple of very interesting topics that we're going to be talking about um, for this week. Uh, the first being, what is the difference between showing and telling? And then I, I think in the next episode, we're going to be talking about writing across genres, or while writing in sort of a general sense applies to a lot of different disciplines. But first, I think we're going to talk about this showing versus telling. Um, as, as a writing instructor, I've been trying to discover for myself what is often missing from these argumentative paragraphs in first-year student writing. Because uh, students will sort of check all the boxes in terms of paragraph construction. They'll have an assertion, they'll have an example, they'll usually have a couple of sort of like commentary sentences. But it often feels like something's missing, um, that they sort of have arrived at a conclusion um, somewhat spontaneously it might be a good way to describe that, uh, at least from the reader's perspective. Um, and, I, and I think what is missing from that student writing is that they're not showing their reader how they arrived at those conclusions. So I thought we would um, sort of explore that idea a little bit, a little bit deeper. Um, for me, when I, when I say the, sh the student isn't showing me how they arrived at, at that conclusion is that I think it really falls in how they handle their explanation of the evidence that they're providing to their reader. Because often the assertion's pretty solid. Um, more often than not, the example that they're, they're providing, whether it's a direct quote or if they're, if they're paraphrasing or if they're um, using like a personal anecdote, like more often than not, that, that's applicable to their assertion and more or less supports it. But where it starts to break down is in that, that explanation of that example. In other words, why is this here and how does that relate to the assertion? Um, and what, I, what I've seen most often is students will simply sort of restate what is in the example, but with like a minor difference. Um, so like they'll quote somebody like Gene um, Kilborn says, uh, the thing about advertisements using sex to sell is that it objectifies women, turning them into objects and then giving objects some sort of like sexual identity or, or, or appeal. Um, and so the, the student will then say, so Kilborn's really basically saying that sex objects are bad, right? So they're sort of paraphrasing the quote they're not really adding to the discussion. They're not really um, building on it in any significant way. And then the conclusion is, therefore, um, using sex to sell is bad. So you would say that they're almost restating too closely? Or are yeah. you saying, yeah, like the Yeah, they're, they're restating it too closely because the metaphor I use is treading water. I'm like, this, this paragraph has all the right parts. We look at axes and we're mm -hmm. like assertion, example, explanation, significance. You have all the parts. But from a reader's perspective, you're treading water. You're using a lot of the same words in the paragraph. Mm -hmm. um, your significance sounds a lot like your assertion. The example and your explanation of the example are too close together so that you never, as a reader, you never get this sense that you're going somewhere with this idea. You're just sort of like, here's this idea. I'm going to say it, say it four different ways. One of those ways is quoting from somebody else saying the same thing. And then I'm going to move on to the next paragraph. And then as a reader, I'm kind of like, I, I mean, sex, using sex to sell is bad. And that's all I got out of that paragraph. And, and I still don't quite understand why. Um, 
And so that demonstration piece, I think, is really valuable. Um, what did this, when one way to, I think, arrive at that is to tell your reader what you as the writer got from that, mm -hmm. that quote, right? Hey, I read Kilborn's quote, and it made me think about sort of the relationship between object and like sexuality. Like how, how do you transfer sexual desire from a person to a thing that we shouldn't be, we wouldn't expect to feel sexual desire for a thing. And yet they, they do that. Carl's Jr. somehow sexualizes a cheeseburger. Doesn't seem possible, <laughs> but they, they managed to do they it. Do. They do. Um, for the longest time, that was like their bread and butter or their barbecue sauce and cheese, I guess. Um, so trying to explain that to the students is, is sometimes challenging, but that's the best way I can articulate it. Um, I wonder too, if it's partially that phenomenon where students are, so you've assigned, um, I forgot her name, Kilborn, Kill Jean. Jean Kilborn, I, I yeah, killing us. Yeah, so you've yeah. assigned it, right? Like, so they assume, okay, well, Professor Greger knows this, right? Like he's already, so <laughs> this exercise of explaining to him like what this means is, you know, like futile. He already knows, he knows better than I do. So I wonder if it's too, this idea of trying as you as you're writing trying to think of it in terms of even if the the reader is familiar with the work um it's placing it in the 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 page or the space or the paragraph it's in so sometimes when we quote things it's you know maybe Kilbert's talking about a very specific type of advertising or maybe it's you know so I don't know if in their support, in their explanation, there's more of that sort of context of, you know, this is part of the discussion on whatever, right? Like, and it is really kind of just bearing in mind that your reader won't necessarily know and, and just assume that they won't necessarily know um, where the argument's taking place, what's, you know, why, you know, what, what the bigger picture is leading into it. Um, so that, that might be possible too, in terms of explaining it just beyond like, I'm just gonna reword um, a couple things and say it's an explanation um, and have that be okay to like bleed into, like if you are writing an axis paragraph into the significance, right? Like, I feel like it, it's, it is smoother, things flow better like when, um, and, and at college level, we're sort of expecting that to start happening where it isn't like a distinct thing where we are, we're looking for, okay, there's the explanation. It's a different sentence than the significance, right? Like, so I think for me, that's what I would encourage students to think about for it to be more fluid that way. Um, I don't know if that helps, but. No, that helps a lot. And you raise a good point about, um, students may be making an assumption about their audience, right? Well, Mr. Grage is the audience. He's assigned Killing Us Softly. We've all watched it. We all know what it's about. It's about how advertising sort of objectifies women, reduces them to object of desire, dehumanizes them, and um, sort of makes, makes reduces products to pornography, um, basically to like sell things. Um, and it could be that that assumption is what drives them to sort of just make these very um, easy sort of explanations, right? Which is just restating the author's point, but in their own words. 
and sometimes it's like really obvious that that's all they're doing. It's like, you know, Kilburn says this is pornography. And they're like, so in Kilburn's opinion, this is pornography. I'm like, you only added two words to the pre-existing sentence. Like, how is this? <laughs> You're like, how is this an ex- <laughs> I, I mean, technically it's an explanation, but. <laughs> um, but they, and I like what you writers, said too about that. Go ahead. They as writers aren't there then. Like, so if they're just completely restating it, it's like, I don't know. Where were you going to go? Uh, I was basically saying that I I also appreciated your point about having a having a stronger explanation smooths that transition into significance, right? Because as you're explaining the value of that evidence and how it supports your assertion, that I would feel like it would lead naturally into why it's important, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we're going to use a quote quote from Kilborn saying that six uh i'm sorry that advertising objectifies women and then transfers the desire of sex from person to object that's an important point but why is it important um so if you say and if you if you reinterpret kilborn's original statement to say something like that maybe her quote is very specific to you know it it objectifies women and transfers sex here and you go so what Kilborn is really saying is that this objectification of women leads to a displacement of sexual desire from person to object, right? So if yeah. women are objects, therefore objects are capable of sexual desire. And this is important because then it devalues women as people. And then that leads to, you know, and which is sort of Kilborn's larger point is that all of this in advertising leads us to devalue women. And then there's violence towards women and there's misogyny and other things basically because we're programmed to act that way towards women. So there's an opportunity there to, to expand on what, to add something to what Kilborn is saying in you, the author's own words, then hopefully that will transition more smoothly into your significance, which is thus we can understand that this displacement of desire means that we treat women as objects, not that we treat objects as women, right? Yeah. Uh, which is an important distinction. I think it's interesting too that you had brought up for this episode, showing and telling, right? So I've taken a number of creative writing classes um, in my past and it's funny because in creative writing it the the it's, it's it's a cliche but it's the advice always given show don't tell um, and so it's funny because in academic writing you need both right like so I was thinking about this in terms of in creative writing we don't usually have it's, it's best not to spoil the plot like the murder is you know <laughs> I mean it, it might be done in in a creative way but like typically we don't have these spoilers we aren't direct we're more it, it's all representational or metaphoric you know and so it's it's those sort of it's all like all the support you know and it, it's all hinted at and so it was interesting because I was thinking about how telling is really those direct straightforward spoilers like your thesis statement where um that's a key difference between academic and creative writing where you know you you need to have those persuasive assertions and those claims right like that that that's the opposite of generally what we do in creative writing that's an excellent point um I mentioned as we were preparing for this podcast that I, I used two authors at the beginning of the semester to sort of talk about the relationship between reading and writing. That's Stephen King and Sherman Alexie. And, and one of the reasons I use them is because they have radically different approaches to the same topic. So Stephen King 
writes what's essentially an academic essay about the connection between reading and writing, even as a thesis statement. He's like, his thesis statement is, if you want to be a good writer, you have to read. That's it. That's the entire sentence, full stop. Um, Sherman Alexie has this wonderful autobiographical narrative that he shares about how he learned to read at a very young age, how he was influenced by his father's desire and, and joy of reading, and, and then eventually becomes out, comes out the other side of that as an author and makes a point of saying, I learned how to write novels and poetry and all these other things because I read those things that if I hadn't, I wouldn't know how to do the writing piece. And I point out to my students, one of these authors does a very good job of telling you as a prospective writer what you need to do. And the other one does a great job of showing you what you need yeah. to do. And Stephen King definitely tells. He has a thesis <laughs> statement. He has, yeah. he's got an anecdotal story in the middle that sort of demonstrates his point. He's got a conclusion that sort of reiterates his main points. He talks about the benefits of reading bad writers as well as the benefits and challenges of reading excellent writers. Um, but it's all very structured, right? And it's very sort of predictable and very reassuring to my students. Most of them like Stephen King because he tells you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do any heavy lifting. Um, Sherman Alexie, wonderful metaphors. Um, great illustrative language, very descriptive. Um, and I think that's to his benefit because one example I use is he, he, he tells the reader, my father read a lot. And then goes on to explain that his father would buy books by the pound and they were stacked up next to the toilet and they had a bookcase, but the books were just spilling out and they were all these different subjects. And he just goes on to this long description of just the, the volume and variety of the reading that his father had done. Showing. I told students, sure. like he's showing, he's absolutely yeah. showing, right? Because a lot can mean something different to every single reader. For some people, two books a year is a lot. For some other people, a hundred books a year is a lot. Um, and, and I think if, if he had just left it at my father read a lot, that, that moment in his life is not as impactful for the reader, right? They don't understand why that was so influential for Alexi. Um, Stephen King doesn't need to do that. He's got the ethos, right? He's got the credibility of being this really well-known published author. So right. if he just tells you to do the thing, you sort of take You'll it. You'll just do it. You. <laughs> you just do it. Yeah, yeah. Not, not to disparage my students, but you're not Stephen King. Um, so if you just, tell me, yeah, <laughs> I'm not Stephen King, if I'm being honest. Um, but I think that's the challenge, right? Is that they're giving me as a reader an assertion, you're giving me the evidence, and then you're, you're just telling me the conclusion. You're just sort of jumping to the conclusion. Um, so your significance is sort of acting as your concluding statement for that paragraph and as a transition statement and as your significance. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily know how you arrived at that conclusion. And it's up to me, the reader, to do the heavy lifting of connecting those two things. Well, here's their assertion that leads to this example, and then they're telling me it means this. But can I really take you at face value? Like, should I trust that that's accurate? Especially if it feels like you're leaving things out. So adding a couple of three sentences in there to show me, the reader, how you arrived at that conclusion is really helpful. Even the example you were talking about with Alexi and the whole the number of books, right? Like, so the specificity, like being specific. And so I feel like that's something that I often tell students where it's, they're like, well, I wrote this paragraph. I feel like it's done. <laughs> and I'll say, well, can you be more specific? Can you talk me through this, right? Like what's happening? And so I feel like that's also what you were speaking to when you were saying, well, do a little bit more than just reword this, right? Like talk about how that 
you know, you came to that, why it's here, what's going on, you know? And so I feel like with those specifics, um, that explanation or that deeper explanation or the more colorful explanation comes. So, yeah, specificity, that's a great word. And that's a, a great way to, to look at it too, is yeah, there's a lack of specificity. There's a lack of detail. Um, yes. and, and students, if you're listening and I hope you're listening, if you feel like you're struggling with page count, look for these opportunities to go back yeah, uh, and be more <laughs> specific. Really like, don't feel like you're padding your paper. That's what revision is for. Put all of the words in there. And then if you go over, maybe think about taking a few out. Um, but I always get the impression as a reader that sometimes students feel like their, their assertions are somewhat self-evident because it's occurred to them and how could it not occur to their reader? Yeah. Um, and, and, that makes for a difficult reader experience. So even if I'm, and I, I guess my point is too, is like, even if you're assuming that I'm your audience um, and that I've seen Kilborn more times than I care to count, um, I d have not seen it through your perspective um, in your context. I am limited by my perspective. So don't assume that I understand your perspective. Don't, under don't assume that I'm gonna arrive at the same conclusions given the same assertions and the same evidence. So really, if you want your if you want your paper to be effective at persuading your audience, you really do need to show them how you arrived at those conclusions because we don't share your point of view necessarily. And that's not it's not to say that we have like the opposite point of view. It's just that we don't have the benefit of your experience and your content context rather. It sounds weird, but I do learn from my students, especially when it, it it's something new. And I just remember this happening a lot not as much early, not as much now, but it's still it happens where it, there's just something that I hadn't thought of it that way. And it's because I am not a genius <laughs> and I don't have all the answers, you know, it's something where it's like, and a student will just articulate something where I'm like, wow, <laughs> yeah, that absolutely is one way of thinking about it that I, it hadn't occurred to me. And so it's like, those are the times where it's like, this is a cool job. <laughs> this is a really cool job. You know, it's like they, I'm learning, right? Like, and that's part of why we do what we do too, is like, we enjoy all that, you know, like we, we like learning. So um, yeah, I think that's absolutely a vital point, right? Like that you, you as a writer have something important to impart um, as a thinker, as all of those things, right? So. Not to mention the fact that if you're able to articulate how you arrived at your conclusion for your reader, that's going to clarify your thinking for yourself. Yeah. Um, and then that's going to pay dividends later on because as you have these sort of like reader response critical moments to a text, you'll have the metacognitive tools to understand why you reacted in that way or how you arrived at that particular conclusion, right? And sometimes maybe you just have to do the the work backwards from the solution like I used to do because I was so bad at math is I'd figure out the solution with, with a calculator yeah. or something like that and then work backwards to show my work. Well, how do I arrive at this? I mean, I know what the right answer is, but how do I get there? Um, right. Reverse engineering it, if you will. So, you know, although I, I've I've sort of framed a lot of this discussion in benefiting your reader and in being conscientious as a writer, it benefits you as the author as well, right? Because you start practicing these these skills in terms of like, Yes, let me clarify my thinking. How did I arrive at this conclusion? Because a lot of it is unconscious, right? We make an assertion, we we know that example fits, 
the challenge is always in articulating how those two pieces work together, right? Um, and here's the thing is if you absolutely cannot articulate how that example is supporting that assertion, then maybe it doesn't. Because I've seen those paragraphs too, where the student has an assertion and then I read their example like multiple times. I'm like, I still don't understand. And you've explained it to me. You've restated what the author said there, but I still don't see how these two pieces work together as the reader. And maybe they don't. Sometimes it's simply, something as simple as shared vocabulary. So the student's like, oh, my assertion and this example use the same couple of words. I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't mean they talk about the same thing. Um, and so I guess be wary of that. But that's where this whole ability of, can I show my reader how these two things work together is going to help you out as an author, right? Yeah. Um, man, great, great ideas, great discussion. Um, any concrete advice you would like to offer up to your, your readers or your writers rather uh, before we wrap up this episode? I think it's just going back to the whole thing of really not forgetting that you as a writer have a unique perspective, even though it might not feel that way. Um, and so your reader, us usually, and then some of your classmates and maybe others at some point, um, we actually do want to know, you know, why it's there, right? Like, why did you pick this? <laughs> and it sounds silly, like, to to explain that about a quote, but actually there's choices, right? Like you don't have to pick that quote. Um, so I was just talking with a student about this. I was like, I like this quote. I'm really unsure why it's here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, so it's like, I don't know that you know that why it's here. And so it's like, yeah. I, you know, it's not the wrong quote, but I just need more, you know, I, I need more explanation. So um, that's, that's what I'm thinking in terms of takeaway. What about yeah, you? that, that specificity. Yeah. I, I think, I think the big takeaway from this discussion is really going to be about that idea of specificity, um, that restating the, the original quote with a difference doesn't necessarily function as an uh, explanation, that you need to be sort of specific and deliberate in articulating to your reader why that, that piece of text is important, right? Um, that simply telling your reader isn't always going to be sufficient. Um, and, and then just to reiterate what you said about you as a writer have a unique voice and unique perspective, and you absolutely should share that. Uh, I think some students might be a little anxious about um, articulating original ideas or what they perceive as original ideas, either for fear of being, quote, wrong um, or getting attacked because maybe their point of view doesn't necessarily align with that of the instructors. Um, and, and ultimately... If an instructor attacks you for your point of view, that's the instructor's problem, not yeah. you or her problem as a, as a writer. Um, and if we ask why, and I think this might be the, the big emotional bit here, but if your instructor is asking you why something is there, we're not saying it's wrong and we're not saying that it shouldn't be there. We are seeking to understand. Right. So don't, don't feel like that's an attack on your writing or your point of view or your voice as a writer. It's your instructor seeking to understand so that we can help you become a stronger writer, ultimately. Well, that just felt like a very special episode of Rightfully So. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I, we missed some of Carrie's more colorful metaphors, but uh, I, I tried to throw a few in there with like treading water and whatnot. Um, so that, that'll do it for this week's discussion on um, showing versus telling uh, and the importance of sort of articulating your, your thought process for your reader. And next week, we're going to be talking about writing across the curriculum or writing across the genre um, and really talk about how, you know, sort of these general ed writing requirements, why they sort of why they exist and, and how they benefit you, even if you're not going to become a writing student per se. So hopefully I'll see you all or you're, you'll come back next week. But um, in the meantime, get out there and write something.